welcome to the Deep Tier NBA podcast. My name's Sean, and joining me as always is the one and only Dante Boffer, Mr. Boffer, my man. How are we? So good. Not as good as Kelly Oubre, though. Okay. Tell me why. Kelly Oubre is really fucking good. So today we played, oh, we, the Phoenix Suns played the, the Charlotte hey, Hornets. This, this isn't even, not even a second had passed before we started talking about nah, the I'm just Phoenix Suns. I just want to tell everyone about Kelly Oubre. Yeah. We played, sorry. Should it remain impartial? I don't want this to sound like it's a Suns podcast, but yeah, I'm actually, actually I'm pretty G'd up. You said that earlier before. Like, just this is just messaging between you and I that like, oh, we're so biased. Like, I want to talk about the Warriors today, and you want to talk about Phoenix. I I say there's nothing wrong with that. You know what? If you want to talk about your team, make your own podcast. Is what I say. But we're not. We're not just going to be talking about our teams. No, I'm talking we're about Charlotte most, as well. We're just, we're, <laughs> we're just mostly talking about our teams. Anyway, it's, uh, keep going, keep going. All right, so we basically choked away a 20-point lead to Charlotte today with a minute and 11 seconds left. Charlotte are up by seven after Devontae Graham goes two from two from the free throw line. And what happens next is Rubio assists to Frank Kaminsky on a layup the next possession down. He gets fouled by Terry Rozier and misses the free throw but grabs his own offensive rebound, kicks it out to Booker, who then assists Ubre on a three-pointer. So Kaminsky's bucket and Ubre's three, that's a five-point swing, so now we're down by two. The next possession down, Ubre blocks Bismack Biombo and grabs a rebound, and then Rubio assists Ubre on another three. So Ubre's got six points in like 10 seconds. Mm. Uh, we're up by one with 19 seconds left. And then the ball gets inbounded to Miles Bridges, being defended by Mikhail Bridges. And they're trying to get the ball to Devontae Graham. And Ubre is defending Graham. And he comes around a pick to get take a dribble handoff. And Ubre slaps it out of his hand and bounces off his leg and goes out of bounds. So it's a turnover forced by Ubre. Um, Excuse me. <laughs> Just keep rolling with it. <laughs> so turnover forced by Ube, and instead of having a chance, Charlotte having a chance to win, uh, they have to intentionally foul, and Booker and Rubio salt away the game, and we make a miraculous comeback. So in the space of less than a minute, Ube comes up with six points on two of two from three, a block, a steal, and a board. Finished with 23 points and three boards. And anyway... Two steals. Two steals. He's a uh, pretty hit-and-miss player sometimes, but boy, when he hits, I'm so fucking into it. Well, I was actually listening to a to a, to a mailbag on Dunked On, so the John Hollinger and Nate Duncan podcast, and someone asked, you know, obviously Kelly Oubre is playing really well. He's been that dude that we always talk about who guards the best player on defense, and he's he's got a role on offense. But where where do you see his ceiling is right now on this team do you see him as like an all-star or an all-nba player or just a fringe role player or just a solid starter or is it just what we have right now is that what he's going to be like for the next five years i think the next step for him realistically the only thing that he can add to his game or the two things is a little bit more um consistency on his three-point shot because at the moment he's sitting like when he's taking those threes i was like <laughs> oh no because <laughs> he's only shooting like 32% from three so uh, it's he's got good aggression from out there like he takes it but he's not making it at a good enough clip big picture and then the other thing would be just uh, tightening up his handle and being a bit more comfortable like running a pick and roll or something because his playmaking chops are pretty 
limited, but he's an athletic slasher when he, he's a streaky shooter. When it, when it goes, it goes. And he's such a smart cutter, and he's a really, really good defender. And, but you also don't need him to be a, a creator, really, when you've got Rick Rubio and... You Rick know, Rubio and Booker. Booker, they're right there. Can I just say, going back to that game, uh, guess who, out of both teams, had the highest plus-minus? Who? Just guess. Don't say Terry Rozier. I think it's not. Terry Rozier yeah. actually had the worst, the yeah. second worst. Yeah, <laughs> plus that's minus. extremely unsurprising. But who who had the best? It was a plus 16. Ty Jerome. No. That was a good guess, though. He actually had his first assist, first bucket, and first everything. Yeah, his first game. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> he looks good. That's going to happen he in looked the first good. game. He looked good. He did, actually. He looked comfortable. But no, it was Dwayne Bacon, who had a plus 16 in 16 minutes. And the second highest Hornet was Malik Monk at plus five. Yeah. That's a little tidbit. Uh, so going from your team to my team, <laughs> one team had a good comeback win, even though technically they didn't have to come back. Uh, and then my team, the Golden State Warriors, did have to come back and couldn't do it because they're not good at basketball. We yes. lost to the Atlanta Hawks, who in my notes before we hit the 15-30 for, you know, right after this section, right after we started talking about our own teams, is I was saying, look, they've lost 10 games in a row. Their defense is atrocious. They're playing Bruno Fernando and Damian Jones, who the Golden State commentators today kept on calling him DJ. And I'm like, no one's ever called him DJ. Even when he was with us, he's... Don't give him a nickname. Don't get used to him. He's not going to be in the league for long. But I can't really talk shit because the Hawks won and they won comfortably. It was... It was quite gross. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I, I... I don't really know what to say. I was, I'm thinking of writing something or maybe we can do it in the podcast in the future, just looking at this whole Golden State roster because obviously this isn't the Golden State Warriors that we're going to be seeing next year, but I'm really watching these games saying, all right, so who's going to be on the team next year and not just on the team, but actually playing minutes. So like, you know, there's definitely Eric Pascal there, but like Glenn Robinson's had an atrocious week maybe and he's had, hasn't been playing too well. Kevon Looney came back after whatever the hell he had and he played limited minutes and he played fine but it's uh, yeah it's it's interesting to see who's going to be still around because Alec Burks like he can take 16 shots if he wants but he's not going to be taking maybe more than three next season so I don't know if he fits on a fits on a championship contender or at least playoff team so I don't know so far I'm, yeah, I guess I sort of just answered my own question there but it's like the Eric Pascal show and who else is going to be on this roster next year? Well, Burke started at the point today, and Kai Bowman played 36 minutes off the bench at the point. Oh, actually, another side point. The commentators are calling him Sky Bowman. Oh. <laughs> Woof. Because <laughs> he, uh, he had a couple of dunks one game, and they ripped out Sky Bowman. I'm like, oh. oh. That's... <laughs> He's at the Pretty level. Average. He's at the level where because he dyed his hair, you know, you wouldn't be remiss in thinking that they were two different players. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so again, like, just keep up with the consistency. If you're on the fringe of a roster, let's not like shake it up too much. Harping back to last week, but yeah, Golden State are bad, and I was ready to rip into Atlanta today at the start of our Eastern Conference breakdown, but I'm gonna have to be a little bit restrained. Well, Atlanta over the last two weeks are the 26th offense and the 27th defense, so they're quite bad. <laughs> um, the point differential in that span is minus 12, which is again quite bad. And I referred to them the other day as a walking 40-point blowout because in the last two weeks, it sounds like any good team that plays Atlanta is just knocking the doors off them. Mm. And then they beat you by 25 points, which I think just illustrates that your team is extremely bad. But to your point about 
you know, who's going to be here next season. I think the young guys will all be there. They'll all get a chance next season. Maybe someone like Kai Bowman is like your 15th man. But with someone like Alec Burks, I think at this point, like he's, you know, Alec Burks, Glenn Robinson, like these kind of established veterans who are like looking for, they're established <laughs> in the Robinson, league, you know yeah. I mean? Like, like they're known commodities. Yeah. The hope would be that someone convinces themselves in, you know, January that they need, you know, like a... A Glenn Robinson in their lives. No, they need and like... They, and they give up a I'm, top 55 protected second <laughs> pick. I'm thinking more of Burks. If someone was like, we need, you know, we need a combo guard who... who we can, need to miss shots and we need to miss them now. Yeah. I, I said, I'm saying the hope. The hope. Yeah, there, there is the hope. I think, yeah, I don't think... At the moment, no one's going to be knocking on the door calling for Burks. And if they do, then we should just take whatever they're giving. But I yeah. think... If anyone is movable on this team, which I'm not really thinking of that, but it'll be Willie Cauley-Stein, who has at least got a name uh, and got a lot of tattoos. A lot. Uh, Professor like, Trill. Yeah, exactly. Um, I remember he was so good in Kentucky. Um, yeah, he was, but he's a <laughs> limited player and a Fruit Loop mentally. Yeah, well, the, look, I'm, I'm not going to get my hopes up with so you're talking a bit about can we salvage can we salvage some scraps or maybe like flip bad player for another bad player and just have a different look going into the second half of the season that would be great but we they still have to prove things before they can be flipped for another bad player and as soon as they prove things it's like well they've proven things let's just keep our third best player on the roster so yeah yeah it's a shit situation to be in but it's all for James Wiseman yeah <laughs> yeah I don't know James Wiseman Seems a bit streaky. I don't know. It's all for the mellow ball, is what I want to say. Yeah. The first player in NBL history with back-to-back triple-doubles. Yeah, I, I don't... I've thought about that. I've thought, I thought it would be really cool to go for the mellow ball on my team, but I just... But basketball-wise, he doesn't fit because if D'Angelo Russell's still there, and like I hope and pray that he's not still there in a year, but if he is still there, then that's going to be our marquee draft pick, who's going to be the fourth guard which is yeah well I mean at the moment like not knowing anything about the upcoming draft class other than Wiseman and Ball like if you had the first pick it would be yeah Wiseman yeah obviously. but also no one knew who the hell Jar Morant was you know before the yeah exactly before, before exactly there could be started. yeah so I really hope that there's another kind of Jar Morant sort of player yeah maybe he plays the wing <laughs> potentially hopefully he plays the wing he's a big bodied six foot nine small forward out of Texas in the 2007 draft and all of a sudden Kevin Durant's on your team again yeah who knows chuck him in a time machine ahead four years could be good and we're set Uh, could be good we've sort of already started it but do you just want to just want to jump right into our Eastern Conference rundown can I tell you something of course I would love nothing more than to jump right in well just before we get to Atlanta which we're pretty much already halfway through (laughs) can I just say you look at the Eastern Conference and obviously we're looking through these teams and we're saying like you know X, Y and Z Um, the top eight seems to be set and we're 20 games into the season yeah Charlotte are ninth at the moment and they're a game and a half behind Orlando at the eight but other than that like we're pretty much locked into cement (laughs) yeah I don't know if you can lock cement but we're pretty much locked in right now with the top eight, with Orlando being your outside, uh, Detroit on the outside looking in. But I will talk about them soon, I'm sure. But the it's, f- it's it's pretty, pretty weird, yeah. And there have been tons of surprises in the East this season, but what hasn't changed is the quality of the lower the seed yeah. 
of the Eastern Conference playoff race because at the moment Orlando sitting with an eight and eleven record, um, and based off of their point differential, cleaning the glass projects them to have thirty eight wins at the end of the season, which means that the eight seeds probably going to be <laughs> sub forty, yeah. which is bad, is is quite bad. So, um, yeah, it's weird that so that you know already there's um, you know a, a clear hierarchy. And teams like the Pistons and the Bulls, who we thought maybe would be like nipping at the heels of those established teams, are not. Yeah, we're going to talk about the Bulls yeah. later. <laughs> Let's just kick things off al- alphabetically with the Hawks. All right, so we've sort of already jumped into them, but the Atlanta Hawks are 5 and 16, 28th in offense and 29th in defense. Before beating the defending Western Conference finalists today, uh, they lost 10 in a row, and it's looking like the injuries to John Collins and the Red Mumba and Kevin Herter are really, really hurting him because, like like I touched on a little bit before, they've got a really thin big rotation. Lloyd Pierce is sort of shying away from playing Alex Len, who's pretty much a journeyman already, mm. um, and looking to play DJ, Damian Jones, and DJ. Bruno Fernando, guys who... Might have a role on this team five, ten years from now. Mm. Ten is a bit optimistic. <laughs> um, so, you know, they're going with the youth, youth movement, and that's exactly what you should do. Uh, but they're bad at basketball. Just touching on their rookies, I know um, DeAndre Hunter had pulled a ligament or tore a ligament in his finger, and it came back bad. So, you know, he's, he's going to be out for at least a week, you'd say. But the other one, Cam Reddish, your guy, one of the worst starters in the league thus far. Um, he might actually be the worst player. Yeah, I think he's probably been the worst player in the league so far. He is shooting 29% from the floor. From the floor. Yeah. Um, and shooting... You know, I don't have his numbers in front of me, but he's shooting a little bit worse from three. But the only the only hope that you have for him is... Well, you've got to, you've, there's a couple of things that sort of keep you coming back to Cam Reddish. The first one is... Oh, I'm still coming back because he's, he's got the tools, but... He, whenever he speaks in the interviews, he's really bullish about his seasons and he doesn't want to hear any bad press. Hate to break it to you, but you're literally the worst shooter in the league. Um, but <laughs> just, just for a bit of context and a bit of substantiation for the whole, <laughs> he might be the worst player in the league, the most worst starter in the league thing. His PR is 4.1. <laughs> That's another one of those ones where you're like, oh, there's another number in front of the four, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. But no, there's no number forthcoming. Right. He's just really fucking bad. Number four PER or number four in PER? <laughs> yeah, so Ooh. the only thing I... Well, another thing I have hanging out for him is that Gary Harris just played absolutely dog crap in his rookie season. And then he's turned around and become a 40% three-point shooter and he's really worked on that. So that's that's the only hope you have right now that this one anomaly from five years ago did it. So The thing with Reddish is... And I think it was Kevin O'Connor from the Ringer who was really big on this in the draft process. Was like, he was so he he was so hyped coming out of high school. Went to Duke with RJ and Zion. Had to take a back seat, but he was bad at Duke. Yeah, like he was really bad. So he was like, well, he's got no nothing to show at a high level of basketball that he can perform in the role he's going to need to be performing in in the NBA. And here we are. He doesn't have any definable skill set to fall back on and at least Gary Harris was fucking G playing for Michigan State in college Gary Harris was like a lockdown combo guard with like you know one of the best defensive acumen in the in the Big Ten when he was at Michigan and Cam Reddish was just bad on a Duke team like he was just a name yeah he was just a name so uh, it is 
pretty bleak. Yeah, extremely bleak. Yeah. Well, um, Cam Reddish, just for a bit of... I've got his college stats in front of me. He shot 35% from the field in college, 33% from three in 30 minutes a game. So, you know, there's there's, <laughs> there's not a lot of... Prior excellence. Yeah. The dude's 6'8", <laughs> and he goes three rebounds a game. Yeah. So. Okay. Uh, well, moving off this because... I'm really sorry, Cam Reddish. I don't hate you. I just think you're bad at basketball. <laughs> um, you mentioned before that uh, the Atlanta Hawks... We've talked a lot about Atlanta. Yeah, we are. Actually, more, more than Phoenix and Golden State. So, <laughs> so it's probably a silver lining for you. Um, but while Trey Young is off the court, they give up 12 points. But while Trey Young's on the court, they outscore opponents by 17. Yeah. Uh, taking away garbage time with cleaning the glasses filter, which is incredible. Um, if only you could play Trey Young forty eight minutes game. If only you could, but the thing, uh, yeah, the thing to consider is even with those numbers, they still have one of the worst offenses in the league on the season. They're twenty eighth in offense, mm-hmm. so that's pretty. That's pretty bleak. They have legitimately probably one above average offensive player, which is Trey Young. Obviously, he's like, you know, probably in the top like eight percentile you know in the league uh in terms of his offensive skill and he's one of those dudes that just warps a defense simply by his presence but you need other people on the court who can take advantage of the of the you know the gaps in the d that are present when a team zeroes in on trey young at the moment especially with john collins out for another what like month probably yeah uh there's no other established offensive player yeah uh, and the guy he was traded for on draft night is looking a lot better than him. <laughs> yeah. What, what's his name, Luca? <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. That that trade hasn't aged well. Anyway, let's move on to the Boston Celtics, who are fourteen and five, tenth in offense and fifth in defense. Um, I was watching the game against Denver when Kemba Walker accidentally headbutted Semi Ojale, mm. and it looked really bad. He got mm. stretched off. He had a neck brace on. He had the full shebang. Luckily, it was just a concussion and they were taking precautions because this team is unlucky with injuries <laughs> uh, and Gordon Hayward is exceptionally unlucky with injuries. Did you listen to Marcus Smart on the low post the other yeah. day? And he was just saying, like, fuck, what a bummer. <laughs> yeah, it's such, yeah, so deflating. And it, it does suck, but, uh, you know, the team keeps finding a way to win. They're, it, they're doing it and they're doing it on the strength of their wing rotation, but also... A surprisingly good defense. They're yeah. fifth in defense, which for a team that's playing, you know, Daniel Tice is like a decent defender, but he's undersized, and Kansas is back up. With those teams at the five, uh, sorry, with those players at the five, this team's fifth in defense. The thing that, yeah, Jalen Brown is really, really good. I feel vindicated because I've said for a long time that he's really good, and last year he didn't play up to his potential. This year he's averaging 19 and 7, shooting almost 50% from the field and like 37% from three. Yeah. Uh, Tatum is posting slightly better scoring numbers, but he's shooting a tad above 40% from the field and a tad above 35% from three. So he's a really, he's a below average shooter. And he, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, he hasn't cut out the parts of his game that everyone wanted him to he's not getting to the free throw line he's still got the mama mentality yeah he's got the mama mentality he's like four (laughs) dribbles and a you know fade away yeah fade away midi Uh, but yeah and Kemba's been exactly what was advertised in that he's putting up around 25 and 5 
with some decent decent efficiency and talking about you know someone who's going to gain so much attention from the defense like Trey Young does. Kemba's one of those players who he has the ball in his hand, so defense needs to kind of like warp to where he is and really accommodate for him. And having players like when Hayward comes back, Hayward Brown Tatum, and then even just competent role players like um, Ojale you mentioned yeah. and Marcus Smart. It really helps having actual professional level and above basketball players on the court to capitalise on the spaces that Kemba creates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and this team, there's also just taking care of the ball. They're the best in the league at not only uh, committing the least amount of turnover, turnovers, but they're forcing one of the highest marks in the league at forcing turnovers. So taking care of the ball, the good old uh, Steve Clifford mantra, which isn't exactly working in Orlando, but uh, yeah, take we'll care of the ball. More on that later. Uh, uh Harping back to a cricket saying is you can't make runs when you're out. So you can't score the ball if you don't have the ball in your hands. Exactly right. Exactly right. So the team that they beat, uh, and Kemba had some really nice layups in the game, actually, it was the Brooklyn Nets, who are currently 10-10, and 10, 17th in offense and 18th in defense. Uh, Kyrie Irving's missed nine straight games. Karis LeVert is still out. But while Kyrie's been down... Um, I'm sorry, and Karras. The Nets have won five out of the last seven and uh, literally, like we just said, cemented back in the playoff mix. They were on the outside looking in at the start of the year, but some little guy called Spencer Dinwiddie, he's, well, no, he's actually not little, he's quite large for a guard, but Spencer Dinwiddie is bringing him back in. I want to talk about Spencer Dinwiddie because two years ago, I wanted him on my team. <laughs> please, he's the fourth guard on this team. Can we please just flip... A protected first round pick for him, and it would have happened, and it didn't. Anyway, not that I'm bitter. Spencer, <laughs> Spencer Dinwiddie's really good. This team really worries me because Kyrie's not someone who you can just like slot him back and say, "Oh, Kyrie's yeah, back." Yeah, like yeah. their offensive system is going to completely change when Kyrie comes back, and yeah. they've been better without him than they have with him on both ends of the court. Yeah, and with Levert <laughs> out that's like you know two that probably their two top options offensively they're going to come back in it's going to have to completely reorient yeah, it's the way not, it's not play. a seamless integration when you add two ball handlers back into the mix yeah and on the season they're 16th in offense and 18th in defense so they're like not good at anything um, yeah there's no defining skill yeah if you look at Kirk, Kirk Goldsbury's graphs that he does once a week on mm. how the league's going they're literally smack bang in the middle like yeah. they are they are the average team which is a bit Bit of a shame because the last few seasons they've been that team that is fun and exciting and all chemistry, blah de blah, and they're like, you know, offense by committee and defense by committee and so on and so on. But, you know, here they are. They're sort of, we're looking at them saying, like, good on them. They're 500 and Spencer didn't when he's playing well. But I don't know, is it the, <laughs> the downside of having Kyrie Irving on your team? Because um, it's not a good look where he's going to come back and they might actually be worse off. Yeah. It's a terrible look. And there were reports coming out like a week into the season that... Uh, that everyone thought he was weird. Yeah, everyone <laughs> thought he was weird and they were having trouble like reconciling some of his behaviour with yeah, yeah. how with you were supposed to... Yeah, with human <laughs> beings and how you're supposed to incorporate that into a team environment. And then there was the whole thing about when, when they went back to uh, Boston and Kyrie got like, booed by all the fans and had like an outburst on social media that was, again, like pretty weird. I like, just cop it. Like, just cop it like. but also don't do weird shit yeah so like, if, if you if you are gonna be upset with it which fair enough maybe don't do the shit in the first class I don't know like you summed it up well in the off season preview where you know you get 
what is it, like 80% of Kyrie Irving and Kemba, but yeah. you get like 80% back in personality with yeah. this really nice guy who, yeah. <laughs> you know, gets cheered when he goes back to Charlotte. Yeah. Speaking of, fuck, I'm good at segues, uh, the Charlotte Hornets are 8-14 and 14 after today. They are 20th in offense, 28th in defense. And before today's game, listen to this stat, right? Um, win in Charlotte's this is the ninth place Charlotte's by the way in Charlotte's wins they have an average margin of victory of three points and in Charlotte's losses they have an average margin of victory uh, margin sorry mar- margin of loss of 15.7 <laughs> so when they lose they fucking lose they, they, they commit when they win it's a good game and it's like oh Devontae Graham hit a three over New York so I don't know what to make of that. That's really weird. I've, I haven't actually ever seen something as a stat as out there as that. But I think what to make of it is that they're bad. Yeah, they're a bad team. And when yeah. they win, it's a scrappy win. <clears throat> yeah, when they win, it's a scrappy win. And it's like maybe there are some variables that if you got one bounce the other way, but when they lose, it's because they're, they they're bad at basketball. They are bad at basketball. Uh, it should be noted that although they are the nine seed, they have an eight and 14 record. So it's not <laughs> like they're anywhere close to the playoff race. Yeah, nine seed sounds a lot better than, yeah. Eight and fourteen. Eight and 14. Uh, Devontae Graham, who is one of my favourite players, who I picked him up in my fantasy in my fantasy team, and he's been absolutely killing it. I think he's like second in the league in threes made, and he's averaging like eight assists, like eighteen and eight assists, and it's just he's got these monstrous games. He's playing literally, he's playing more minutes than Terry Rozier, which is amazing, and I just love that number. Um, and as you and I were talking about off air, it's great because like he he's in the top top ninth percentile in terms of threes made and you know frequency threes, but he's in the bottom third in terms of everything inside the three point arc. Yeah, he's bad once he steps yeah. inside the arc, which is not sustainable at all. But it's fun to watch. Yeah, it's extremely fun to watch. I think the good thing for the Hornets is that PJ Washington and Miles Bridges have been pretty decent. Mm-hmm. The bad thing outside of Graham is everything else yeah uh, and yeah this is not a good basketball team but think in a year oh sorry two years actually um, Nick Batum's not going to be there anymore yeah Michael Kidd Gilchrist who's getting DNP CDs is yeah. going to be there yeah he's Mac Biombo who had a Eurostep today mm. a Eurostep layup and and one over uh, Devin Booker mm which I don't want to ever say those words ever again. Like, like a bizarre <laughs> world sentence. with the Euro. Um, they're not going to be there in two years, so that's great. So yeah, You know who is going to be there? PJ Washington. The three first-round picks that Michael Jordan spends on like a Jimmer Fredette type who is like clearly not going to be a good player in two years. the NBA, I, I thought, but they draft gonna, him 10th overall. I thought you were going to talk about the three, three first-round picks that they drafted Frank Kaminsky with four first round picks four first round yeah. um, but speaking of first round picks uh, I need to start with the cringy segues this shit but, um, <laughs> PJ Washington uh, would you call him a top three rookie in this draft so far no well who's better than him Eric Pascal Kendrick Nunn Ja Morant that's three players better than the 12th overall pick off the top of my head <sighs> Tyler Hero Tyler Hero definitely Cam Johnson from Phoenix all I'm saying is that he's not it's not bad to get a good as a Phoenix fan you should know that it's not bad to get a backup for PJ Washington might be a starting for like PJ Washington's good it's just that there have been some real strong rookie performances so far oh he's definitely not in that upper echelon but like he's proven that he'd be an all rookie player at the moment yeah like, without you, you and I could get on the all rookie second team yeah well Landry Fields <laughs> 
R.I.P. He got paid. He got paid. <laughs> he got paid. All right, on to the next team, the Chicago Bulls, who are 7-14, 27th in offense and 14th in defense. And with each passing day, my bold prediction gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And I just want to take this time to apologize to everyone who listened to our bold predictions, but you're just nodding. You're liking this. Um, because... I'm sorry that I got your hopes up because I really rated this team. I loved Sato and I loved that he is young and that's hard to say right now. Um, and if it makes you feel any better, my hope, my hopes were also up. I wasn't just saying it. I honestly believed it myself that I thought Chicago were going to be good at basketball. Um, and look, Otto Porter's been out. He's still not swinging the needle. But the finisher, Laurie Markkinen, has had, is having a career worst year uh, all across the board, uh, he's shooting thirty-five percent from the floor and twenty-eight from three. His, <laughs> his effective field goal percentage is in the second percentile among big men, which means there's pretty much nobody worse at shooting the ball than Larry Markkinen. Um, he is the finished. Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, he probably, he's obviously not finished. Probably do better. <laughs> they have the issue with Porter being out is that it's a healthy dose of Thad Young and. I'm not going to crow, I'm not going to gloat, but I'm going to just reiterate my point that <laughs> Thad Young's not that good. And a healthy dose of Thad Young is an issue. This team leans so much on Zach Levine. Yeah. And that's good because Zach Levine can get you some empty calorie scoring numbers, but it's bad because you can't put an offense around Zach Levine. And Kobe White has been like, real promising, <laughs> but he's inconsistent and he's like he has no shot filter. Every single time he touches the ball, he shoots. He's just jacking it up. And sometimes, like, Kobe, like, you, you probably want that one back, hey? Did, did you do that in college? Yeah, but in college, it was always... College ball. <laughs> in, in college, it was often a better shot because he was either shooting a three or he was getting a transition bucket yeah, because he's yeah, so yeah. fast. He didn't have to do a lot in the half court. Yeah. He wasn't taking these, like, pull-up mid-rangers. And now he's playing these... good defenses. Yeah, well, exactly right. So, yeah... Uh, one thing I do just want to talk about with the Bulls, and I just want to shout out uh, a friend of ours, Lucas, who is going to um, have something up for us on the blog in the next couple of days. But he uh, introduced me to Thomas Sodoransky's fashion sense. <laughs> yeah. And holy shit, I've never seen a grown man dress worse. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. <laughs> but wow do yourself a favour and look up Thomas Oderansky fashion or, or just read the article in the next couple of days yeah well there'll be pictures Lucas is writing Lucas wrote an article for us about NBA fashion and it's actually going to be elite I haven't had so much fun reading something so stay tuned but also in the meantime look up Thomas Oderansky fashion it's actually yeah. just not going to lie not going to lie it sucks reading that article it actually, it actually factored a little bit into my you know disapproval of the dude that I was so high on heading into the season anyway just not to completely kill Sato I've got him on my fantasy team and he's actually like he's the goods he's just a regular 12 5 and 5 yeah I thought he could do more <laughs> uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers are <coughs> a 5 and 14 they are 24th in offense and 24th in defense an improvement on last season's 30th and 30th how about that well you're only up from there um 
Darius Garland is a rookie point guard, and usually rookie point guards aren't good. Mm. Darius Garland is no exception. Mm. <laughs> Colin Sexton is still doing all things wonderful with Colin with two L's in his name. I, I have so much respect for that. that if your name's going to be Colin, <laughs> don't fuck around with one L. Put two in there. It's strong. I'm into it. And I mean, I'm, I'm secretly into Colin Sexton as well. Okay. I'm not. Uh, it seems, uh, seems like a... DeMar DeRozan disagreement there. Yeah. I don't <coughs> like that I'm into Colin Sexton, <laughs> but I am. He is not good at anything else other than scoring, young, which he is good at. Young bull. He is good at. He's not good at anything else other than that, though. Uh, and he... But let's be fair, and let's call him a combo guard. Yeah. Because calling him a point guard, which he was projected to be coming out of college, is not fair because he shares the backcourt with Garland, who is yeah. more of a point mold. So let's call him a combo guard with a usage of 26, which is a fair bit. <laughs> He's averaging 2.4 assist a game, which is what's the opposite of a fair bit because that's what it is not a bit not, not yeah not a lot there yeah the starting point the starting guards for Cleveland are combining for less than six less than six assists a game well Cleveland and Kobe Altman just has this fascination with guards that can create because they've they've obviously drafted the two guys in Garland and Sexton who were uh, defensible picks then because they are arguably the best guys on the board when they took them but they've got Jordan Clarkson, Brandon Knight, and Kevin Porter Jr., who they drafted mm. and sort of overpaid for him. Mm. Like, they just love all these guys that can create with the ball in their hands, mm. but there's only one ball. So I don't know where they see themselves five years from now when their coach turns 73 or whatever yeah. he is. Um, 87. <laughs> Johnny B. Yeah, Johnny B. Fuck off, I'm not saying his name. Johnny B! Um yeah, look, I... Uh, Just to cap that discussion there, 28th in um, assists. So, uh, I... <coughs> I'm just waiting to see when they sell everything that isn't nailed down to the ground. But Yeah. <coughs> we'll look, we'll, the thing is, they're going to sell everything that isn't nailed down to the ground. They're going to take again. Uh, they're going to get another high pick. And I really, really hope it's not the number one pick because this team does not need another, another number one pick, especially after their recent track record is Anthony Bennett and Andrew Wiggins and also just like I just don't want them to have yeah but what's like I almost don't know what's worse though like if this team gets like a like a a pick in like the 4 through 10 range again which seems likely because they're not like I, I don't know. They're better than the Knicks. They're better than the Hawks. And they're better than like the Warriors. So they're not like that like absolute lowest doldrum tier of the NBA. The last two first-round picks I've used have been on Garland and Sexton. And Sexton was like a bit of a iffy pick. You got the sense like in the 2018 draft. was like, oh, who actually wants to pick this guy? Like yeah. clearly he's like the seventh best player in the draft. The Rui Hachimura. Yeah, the but <laughs> he's clearly good. But you don't want to like actually have the headache of trying to figure out who he is as an NBA player or try and yeah, fit yeah, a system yeah. around him. And Garland was a dude who had like a lot of pop, but... Because, yeah, because the draft class, you know, kind of tailed off pretty quickly after the top three picks, Garland was another one where it was like he could go anywhere. He wasn't locked into, like, a specific value. 
if this team gets another, you know, like they got the sixth pick in this upcoming draft, which is again not projected to be like especially yeah, yeah, yeah. deep. You could end up with this team having a lot of highly drafted players who are actually just like not that good, which is just a mess to find yourself in. Like if you draft another dude who's going to be like maybe like a slightly above average starter, and yeah. then you have Sexton who's a slightly above average starter, and Garland who has not shown and that the, the much. Chetty Osmonds and the Larry, yeah, and Larry then Chetty Osmond like where's your like where's your team? You've yeah. you've got you've had all of the you know in theory like the draft capital because yeah, you've yeah. been bad. You've got these first round picks, but through maybe the fault of your scouting department of not seeing another option or just like the luck of where you fell you've ended up with yeah I, do, I really do like watching Colin Sexton play but I don't think he's going to be a contributor on a winning team for a very very long time do you want to know what you do when you're in that situation that you just described mm. you sign Ricky Rubio and you trade for Aaron Baines and all of a sudden you get two random role players that unlock your team oof <laughs> Big oof. <laughs> Huge. Huge. All right, on to the next one. We've got the Detroit Pistons at 7-3. and three. They are 7th in offense, 21st in defense, and have had possibly the easiest schedule in the whole entire league thus far, and they're six games under 500. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think they've had the one or two easiest schedules, and it's not looking good. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what do you do? Um, not a lot. Not a lot. I think you try and sell Blake Griffin. I think you blow it up. You sell Andre Diamond, you sell Blake Griffin, and you be like, Luke Kennard, take 20 he, shots a game. He's, uh, look, if it wasn't for everyone else being even better than him, he's actually having... He's very, very quiet. Very, very, very dark horse mm. for a white dude. He's a very dark horse for most improved player. He... Jumped up to 16 points, 39% from three, yeah. uh, on nearly seven attempts with 4.4 assists. I'm happy to say it because I'll be the first to admit, Detroit's <laughs> not at the top of my NBA league watching. Pass. Yeah, my NBA league pass rankings. I've watched one Detroit game this year. It was Blake's first game back. Yeah. Uh, and I haven't watched a lot of Detroit for the last three years since Kennard came into the league. All I've known is that he's struggled a lot. His shot disappeared. He wasn't confident handling the ball. I'm happy to see it because I just have these memories of Luke Kennard in college absolutely eviscerating teams. And for whatever reason, I watched that Duke team that he was on quite a lot. And their entire offense was Luke Kennard coming off a pin down and either just draining it from the corner or the wing or catching that ball off a pin down and then initiating a pick and roll and just dropping a dime to one of the bigs. Anyway, happy to say that he's succeeding. Uh, We had a mailbag question in the off-season that centred around Tony Snell. (laughs) And I'm actually happy to report that Tony Snell is averaging 8.4 points a game, which is two more than his career average. And he's actually shooting 46% from three. So I'm not sure if he qualifies in terms of made threes, because he's only playing uh, not very many minutes a game. But 46% from three for Tony Snell is, is nothing to sneeze at. So he, he kind of has solidified himself there in the backup, uh, the backup wing spot. So that's something to track. Well, yeah, that's, that's pretty grim. <laughs> pretty grim. The other thing that, to think about, like, when you look at the NBA as, like, swings and roundabouts... Dwayne Casey won coach of the year and then promptly got fired after the Raptors lost to the Cavs in the playoffs. Mm. And then the very next season, the dude who spent 10 years coaching, the dude who replaced him and who had previously spent 10 years coaching like the, the 
fucking yeah. um, Birmingham. <laughs> it was like the Birmingham Bullets in like the British Basketball League yeah. comes in and wins the NBA championship. And you are like, anyway, maybe I'll just go over to Detroit. It will be a quiet seven seed. No. You will not. You'll go and be <laughs> potentially in the worst situation in the league because Detroit's pretty much capped out with Drummond and Griffin's contracts taking up the majority of their cut space and they have no direction. good young players. No uh, avenue to be... Like, I'll, I'll, can I just push back on that? They do have good young players. They do have Christian Wood and they do have Seiko Dumboya who is playing really well in the G League. Take that with a grain of salt. Uh, Bruce Brown, the two-way player, is playing well. Uh, Derek Rose has played well and he's actually quite sellable at the moment because he's, he's look he's playing well um, <coughs> it's it, it is it is an awful situation but yeah but I mean like got uh, things Christian Wood Christian Wood is good he had I think it was 28 and 12 or something the other day yeah. and you were saying he's, he's good you know, since he's on the Bucks not getting game time you're yeah. saying he'd play this man but what's Christian Wood's ceiling as an NBA player it's it's Mitchell Robertson's <laughs> not <laughs> yeah maybe Mitchell Robinson now but without the fouls like, yeah. his absolute ceiling is third big Yeah, that's his absolute ceiling he could be a good third big on a good team that's his ceiling so the you know like Reggie Jackson Blake Griffin Andre Drummond are all taking up most of their cut and then you know the dudes on the the rest of the roster who you know aren't <laughs> the players that we've mentioned the dudes like Thonmaker Svima Kyle, Markeith Morris, like the grave, like the bones of Markeith <laughs> Morris. And then journeyman dudes like Langston Galloway, Tim Fraser. Like there's, n- in my opinion, the only person on his team who is guaranteed to be like a part of the good, you know, the next good Detroit team is probably Kennard. Yeah. Um, Rose seems like a trade candidate because they'll just try and go in the tank, but you have to be able to, you have to be willing to trade Griffin, Drummond and Jackson for that to happen. And well, Dumbuya... Yeah, again, playing well five, in the G League. Two years away from being two years away. Yeah, you know who else is two years away from being two years away? Bruno Every Caboclo. other player that they ever <laughs> said that about except Giannis. Well, we're actually up to year six of the Bruno Caboclo experiment. He's playing now in Memphis. <laughs> but, you know. Well, if, if it takes you six years to play, then. Anyway, yeah. I read an article on The Athletic two days ago from James Edwards III, who is the Pistons writer for The Athletic. Um, and he said, look, after they won that title, they've pretty much solidified themselves as we're going to make the playoffs, we're going to jump on the treadmill of mediocrity, but there is something noble in saying, like, let's just make the playoffs. Like, not every team can win a title if we just make the playoffs. But as soon as you get off to 7-13 and 13 and you're not going to make the playoffs, then it's you really need to look yourself in the mirror and say, well, Andre Drummond just said that he wants to go test free agency and there's been a lot of buzz of him going to Atlanta. Blake Griffin is he's definitely transformed his game and he's transformed who he is as a player but again he's not moving the needle and he's not his best days are probably behind him he was third team all NBA last year and deservingly so but it's just a question of who's going to take on the contract yeah 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 I think he still has a lot of value for a lot of teams like if, if Portland traded for Blake Griffin you know I'd be like over the moon about it yeah um, imagine you know, the passing bigs with him and Nurkic ima- ima- imagine <laughs> imagine yeah um, and then Derek Rose is obviously sellable like I said but yeah it's yeah it's a shit situation to be in it, it just sucks and I think the issue with that mindset where they're like we're just going to make the playoffs is yeah maybe that works in 2008 
where you're four years removed from your championship and you're like, let's just keep the core together yeah, and yeah. we know we can get 44 wins every season. Let's just do it until like it's 20... Golden State and in five years. 20 <laughs> and like Tejon Prince and Rick Hamilton retire and then we'll figure it out. Their championship was 15 years ago. Yeah. You can't be like, anyway, we got our chip, we got our ring. Like, how are you going to keep the fans coming back? Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I feel bad for people in Detroit because the Lions, their football team also suck and it's in much the same way where it's like they spend, they, they try and get themselves in this position where they're going to just like sneak into the playoffs or like compete and then inevitably something goes wrong and you end up not actually being as competitive as you thought and you just have like this expensive shit roster. It sucks. If you could start starting today as the general manager of either Detroit or Cleveland and you wanted to win a title in 10 years, who would you pick? Cleveland. Okay. Mm. I'll pick Detroit. Because the thing about Detroit is like, who's trading for Blake Griffin? And if someone does, what are you Portland, getting? you just said it yourself. Yeah but, what you, yeah, but what are you getting from Portland? You get Kent Bazemore. Yep. And you get, uh, who's that dude? Who's the who's the power forward? Um, uh, come on. Zach Collins. Yeah, Zach Collins. And then you get two second round picks. You get you <laughs> a get protected a, first. You that get a, dissolves you, into two seconds. No, well you get a protect. You get a protected first. That then Portland just acquired Blake Griffin, so they go on to be a good team. And that first so round pick get, ends up being the twenty fifth pick, and right. you spend it on someone who's going to be no better than Bruce Kevin Brown Junior. Jr., who's good at basketball. Yeah, but but, but then not... next next year, Andre Drummond leaves. He goes mm. to Atlanta, hypothetically, mm. and you've sold Derrick Rose for the 20th pick in the draft, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're really not liking this, but no, you go in with it. you go in with an absolute blank canvas of a roster and Luke Kennard and Seiko Dumbuya and Christian Wood and you get two first round picks on top of your own plus you're going to be shit the next year so then you get another pick I would rather that than five uh, shot creating guards who can't defend and average three assists <laughs> with all fucking five of them together yeah <laughs> yeah Kevin Porter is just hair like don't he's, get it confused he is his hair we spent so long talking about Detroit and it's making me so sad can we move on alright so the Indiana Pacers are 13-7 <laughs> Um, 15th in offense and 7th in defense uh, Victor Oladipo is now officially back doing 5 on 5 scrimmages which is incredible uh, his timeline is still going to be in effect for after Christmas Miles Turner has returned after a few weeks injured and he's back to we're back to now judging that awkward too big situation again with him and Demontis Sabonis uh, I've, I've got a few points written here but I've also said that the two big trade discussions thicken. Obviously, when we say that the two big trade discussions thicken, it's that Sabonis can't be traded this season, or at least till December fifteenth. Anyway, yeah, December fifteenth. Um, I I was heading into this season saying, all right, Miles Turner is your defensive big man of the future. Lock him in. And yes, like he had five blocks the other day, and it was great. But he is looking a little bit awkward on offense, and Sabonis is looking a little less awkward on offense. He's averaging. See, like obviously his numbers are quite high because he's been starting at the five while Miles Turner's been out, but he's averaging eighteen and a half and thirteen rebounds with a cheeky three point six assists. I, I think, I think if you're going to win a championship, you can't have a, a bad defensive big man mm. playing serious minutes in Sabonis. Mm. 
Um, so that's what that's what makes my brain say, all right, stick with Miles Turner because look, you can figure out the offense around him if he's great on defense. If he grows into Rudy Gobert or Joel Embiid and he's transformative, which he's not that far off, like you would argue he's in the second tier of defensive bigs. If he grows into that sort of defensive player of the year candidate, then you're starting to have kind of like championship conversations. But Sabonis is really fun. <laughs> that's my rebuttal with Sabonis. Yeah, Sabonis is really fun. He's just better at everything else other than Turner. Turner, like, other than D. Turner's like, you know, I'm just looking at Turner's stats now. He's got a 4.1 block percentage, which is up there with Gobert and Davis. So you're talking about a dude averaging 2.3, like one of the best in the league. Yeah. Um, but he's, he's, he's plateaued in every other yeah. um, in every other category. He's averaging the same as last year despite playing more minutes. He's shooting 45% from the field. The yeah. dude's 7 foot 1. <laughs> Sabonis is one of those, you know, like he's like a kind of Jokic light in that he is an offense unto himself because you're giving the ball in the high post and you run cutters around him. That 3.6 could easily be 4.5. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. like he's a good passer. He's a beast in the paint. It's just he's so slow. He can't move his feet on defense. He can't get in the right position quickly enough because he, he just doesn't have any foot speed. So that's where you want to keep, maybe you keep Turner and, you know, like... I don't know. Down, <laughs> like you know, you need you, you need you know you know. It's good to have someone who can come in and anchor a defense like that. But then it's like you know, if you if you bring Turner on and your offense completely craters because he you know he's not um, the offensive player that Sabonis is, um, and and they are three point five um, points worse um, per one hundred possessions with um, Turner on the court than off the court. Um, and offensively, um, they're they're worse with him on. So I don't know. It, it's just an awkward fit. Yeah, I. It's so you mentioned the comparisons to Jokic, which are obviously pretty glaring just by looking at the two players, pudgy big white dudes. But like Jokic is in Denver, a team with the best offense in the league, the best defense in the league. So it's not like yeah, you can build around it exactly, but. Like it goes back to the trade discussion because if you're going to build around it, you really need to start doing it now, and you need to start yeah. locking in. Because well, the thing to I, look- I, sorry, I've actually done a 180 since the start of the season because I was optimistic, and now I'm <laughs> saying like just fucking pick because yeah. yeah. If you want to build around it, the way to do it is to take your shitty defensive big man and surround him with Jeremy Grant and Paul Millsap, not. TJ Leaf and TJ White. That's the way to do it. <laughs> too many TJs, is that what you're yeah. saying? Too many TJs. Too many I TJs just, in the kitchen. I don't TJ think, McConnell, where are you? I don't think... He got a tribute video. That was amazing. Um, I don't think that... Yeah. I don't think that they're uh, going to make a decision until Oladipo is uh, back and healthy and they can actually look at the whole team. I don't think they should as well. Like, exactly. that's, that's responsible. Exactly. Anyway, so that is about halfway through <coughs> our 1530, which I'm going to have to come up with a new name for that because we're not 1530. <laughs> Are we just going to call this episode, let's make everyone sad by talking about Detroit? No, I'll, I'll let them I'll let them naturally stumble <laughs> across it. Like, we naturally stumble across it, but should <laughs> Let's uh let's pick up with the Miami Heat next episode, should we? Yeah, let's do it. Lovely. Anyway, so thanks everyone for listening and stay tuned for later in the week. When have we... have just the best week, everyone. <laughs> the best week. Cheers.